Well, comrade, what now? Straightforward conversation. Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us, with us is our other co-host. Yo, what's up, everybody? I'm the other co-host. My name's Drew. What's shaking? Drew McGoo. Drew McSmoove. Those don't run. <laughs> yeah, I I'm was just, wondering where I'm that just, came from. I was just I'm perplexed. Just, <laughs> I'm just trying to come up with uh, potential DJ names for you. Drew McDoo. <laughs> do the Drew. Do the do. I don't know. <laughs> Man. These are my marketing pitches for your DJ persona. Albert the Squirt. Yeah, that's disgusting. <laughs> what? You've never... Uh, I'm not going to finish that my... sentence. No, finish I'm not. Finish that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> you got to save that for the non-existent Patreon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the it's the god tier of uh, of the Patreon buy-in. So uh, basically, that's the tier where it'll cost hundreds of millions of dollars, and only one person is allowed to be on that tier. So be sure to sign up for that tier <laughs> you can hear everything that usually gets left on the cutting room floor yeah you can hear all the pearls of wisdom that don't make it to the episode you know the stuff that'll just enlighten you to another level another plane of existence either that or you'll just hear some of the most racist and horrific vulgarities and obscenities true true i mean if alex jones can make his money that way i don't see why we can't <laughs> Elon Musk does it for free. <laughs> yeah, some people pay him so they can do it. Exactly. So <laughs> on Twitter, the way I see X. it, we value ourselves far more than they do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess if we got nothing else, we can jump right into it. What are we covering today, Albert? This is the last episode of 2023. Or at least the last episode that we'll release in 2023. All right. How's it feel? Uh, same as 2022 and pretty much the same as 2021. I, I'd say the last 40 of these have been pretty cookie cutter in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I can see I've stunned you into silence. <laughs> I'm trying to do the math because if you're saying the last 40 episodes... Oh, I didn't that... mean 40 episodes. I meant the last 40 years. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay, that makes yeah. more sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It totally makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the clarification. Yeah. But now I was going to say... like I've got a better grasp on your existential dread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wake up in the morning, go to work, go home, go to sleep, rinse and repeat. There we go. And try to read some comics in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, seeing as how it's the end of the year, we generally 
try to touch on a theme every year. Maybe, maybe it varies depending on just how we feel, but, um, you know, I feel like it's a, a good opportunity for us to touch on comics that, that, that match the theme of what it means to be at the end of something. So, you know, seeing as how we're coming to the end of 2023, we, I, I usually propose that we do a review on a comic that either ended in 2023 or a comic that is about the end of something and just have it as an opportunity for us to discuss that, you know, within the context of uh, the overarching theme of the episode. Um, yeah, so this this year, I don't know, it was a little tough finding something. The best we could do is uh, Namor, Conquered Shores by Christopher Cantwell and Pasquale Ferry. Um, Drew uh, might have a more detailed version of the team that worked on it. So, yeah, by all means, uh, fill us in, Drew. Well, I'm not sure if the Submariner is actually part of the literal title, but on the cover art, it says Namor, the Submariner, Conquered Shores. Yeah. And it is, as you said, written by Christopher Cantwell. Art is by Pascal Ferry, colored by Matt Hollingsworth, lettered by Joe Caramagna. It, it was a five-issue miniseries, originally published by Marvel, of course, from October of 2022 to February of 2023. So the fifth issue of this came out earlier at the beginning of this year and the story is one of those kind of the end stories it's not exactly i guess it's kind of post-apocalyptic but it's also one of those marvel universe alternate far future kind of stories where you know everything yeah. all the heroes as we've recognized them have either died out or aged into obsolescence so yeah it's one of those I think I think it's always fair to compare to make this comparison because the the comic that I have in mind has been sort of the prime example of what that sort of comic looks like and because of its success is has always ended up being becoming the standard by which all comics of this type are measured by but that would be Dark Knight you know, the Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. Um, I mean, I don't know if you agree with me. I'll, I'll clarify that I'm just speaking for myself, but I feel like ever since that comic came out way back in like, what, the 80s, that that just set the bar for whatever these post-apocalyptic dystopian future uh, version of superhero stories ends up looking like. And every time we see one of these stories done from a specific character's standpoint it to me it always feels like that's spider-man's dark knight returns that's you know like spider-man rain yeah exactly or that's you know captain america's dark knight returns or what's captain america's case, dark knight returns uh, i don't even think he has one uh i don't think they've ever have they ever done i feel like they, they probably ever, have but it's not coming to my mind right now. I don't know if they've ever pitched anything like this for that. Like, I feel like they've done stories that 
throw Captain America into the future and, you know, have him like the one story that I can think of is that Mark Wade, Adam, Q, Adam or Andy, it might be Andy Kubert. Uh, it was, but it was part of the, the regular run of Mark Wade's run on Captain America. Oh, okay. And it's the one where Red Skull finally becomes, uh, I think he, he, he takes control of the cosmic cube and like, no, 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 it's not Red Skull. It's Korvac. Korvac takes control of the Cosmic Cube, and for whatever reason, he decides not to destroy Captain America because it's more important to him that he breaks Captain America. So Captain America is constantly coming back and finding new ways to like lead a resistance to overthrow Korvac, and all Korvac does every time is he just resets time over and over again. Do you remember that story? I don't think I read that one. I read parts of that Mark Wade run. You're talking about the one from the late 90s and maybe yeah. early-ish 2000s? Yeah. I think it was called Rocket's Red Glare. Oh, okay. Yeah. The The story is familiar to me. I mean, the, the title yeah. is familiar to me. I've definitely seen the collected edition, but I don't yeah. actually have it, and I've never read it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's really a Dark Knight Returns style captain america story but i mean anyways regardless of that uh, like yeah every time they do one of these stories where they take a character and then they show an alternate version of the future that's usually pretty bleak i can't help but in my mind think of it as a dark knight's return version but with insert character here right and yeah in last year last year we ended up doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, which was absolutely DKR mm-hmm. for the turtles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think in this case, I'm not completely, uh, you know, pulling it out of nowhere when I say that this just feels like it's a Dark Knight Returns, but for Namor. I, you know, granted, in the most shallowest way possible. Yeah. But- <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I know about you, and we probably mentioned it a few times throughout the course of our podcast, Namor is one of your favorite Marvel characters, if not your fav- absolute favorite, correct? I'd say so. He's someone I have a lot of love and affection for. I I do tend to enjoy some of the lesser known characters. Um, well, yeah, I, I, I don't really need to go into it anymore beyond that. But, you know, uh, I, I have a handful that I, I enjoy that probably aren't your Wolverines or your Spider-Mans or even your Daredevils. But, yeah. And Namor is at the top of that list. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's fair. I think that's a really uh, mm-hmm, accurate way mm-hmm. to put it. Um, in terms of my B-tier, forgettable, uh, lesser-known <laughs> heroes... Namor is at the top of that list. So what is it about Namor that makes him such an appealing character for you? Uh, I think it's the fact that... Well, one, I've always been drawn to the undersea king trope. I, I think in terms of like fantasy stories, that's something that I do enjoy. The, the whole mythos and lore of undersea kingdoms is, is something that i appreciate but 
on top of that, I'd say Namor, Namor's being a king and being a jerk is one of those things that is always kind of fun to me because <laughs> there's this sense that he's regal and that he's aristocratic and that he's got class, but at the same time, he also suffers no fools and he's just kind of uh i guess for the better lack of a word he's just kind of a dick when he wants to be just Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. because who else is gonna tell him no (laughs) yeah nobody Yeah. yeah exactly so i do think that those qualities make him someone that is ripe for entertainment at least for me um and yeah i I think more so than that i I do think that there's a lot of lore there that they can explore uh that they can build upon to tell the kind of story that i someday hope to get with him i think it's fair to say that with namor he's someone that i've always wanted an evergreen story for and even though he's gotten some attention you know recently um they they give him they give him like roles in other books and occasionally they'll give him miniseries uh more recently he was in black panther 2 but uh other than that we don't really i don't know i i'd say that the best version of him that i've ever seen is probably the version in jonathan hickman's run and i think it's the thing that's just as much as I like that version of him and as much as I like the Jonathan Hickman run, I think maybe for me personally... His, his just, new Avengers run, specifically. Yeah, his new Avengers run. I think the thing that's annoying to me is that he just hasn't had his own book where he's had the ability to shine and stand on his own, right? I, right. And maybe that's just a personal thing for me where it's like... I think a lot of people can say that if a character has a shining moment in a ensemble book that's more than most characters ever get so maybe i shouldn't be complaining but still in spite of that i still there's still a part of me that wants to him to have like an evergreen you know 12 issue run maybe if not maybe something even longer right like yeah yeah like uh, a jason aaron level four level run on um on namor right because uh, jason aaron worked on thor for what like 50 75 issues i don't i don't remember it was a lot because i think it's it hard for me to keep track to 100 it wasn't to 100 i think it was closer to 100 yeah yeah because yeah, they just kept changing the numbering on it so it's harder for me to like keep track but that being yeah. said like yeah the idea that thor can have this hundred issue run that's just perfect on its own i mean granted there were like tie-ins and stuff but still it stood as its own thing and i could only dream imagine a world where namor gets something like that right i I think that would be like perfect for me but yeah uh, it hasn't happened yet it hasn't happened yet and not a lot of characters get that or or are ever that lucky so there we go what was it that first got you into Namor? Were you into his comics when you were a kid, or was it something else? 
Uh, honestly, it all just goes back to the cards. When I was a kid, I, I saw Namor in Marvel Series 1, Marvel Series 2. I had these cards, and I was just... I guess I was captivated by the idea of him being this sometimes hero, sometimes foe of humanity, and the way that he would always, like, beef with the Fantastic Four, and how... His beef wasn't even necessarily one just based purely in animus against the Fantastic Four. It was rooted in the fact that he really wanted to bone Reed's wife, Sue. (laughs) (laughs) You have quite a way with words, my friend. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. I don't I didn't really know how to uh, doll up that phrase, uh, you know, (laughs) but that was the 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 best and most articulate way for me to put it. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that that uh, story element of Namor constantly getting, trying to get at Sue, her being like the one earth woman or, you know, uh, land dweller, surface dweller woman who's able to, you know, melt his icy exterior and get to the core of him and how they have this just ongoing feud between Reed, who's the brain, and Namor, who's just basically a good-looking douche. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and they're constantly just fighting over Sue. And even though she keeps going back, like, we keep reaffirming that, oh, she's married to, to Reed, and she'll never leave him. But there's always just a little bit there that's, like, willing to toy with the idea that <laughs> Namor... <laughs> In another time, in another place, maybe. He has a perfect body. <laughs> he definitely body. has his charms. <laughs> what? He has a perfect body. He's got, yeah, he's got a perfect body, even though he's got like a fish wiener. <laughs> I imagine that that's what all Atlantean people have, right? They've got like fish wieners, right? No. <laughs> uh... What makes what makes him a fish man if not that? <laughs> I always thought it was the pointy ears and the little wings on his ankles. Yeah, I imagine he has that on his wiener too, because you know, <laughs> that's how you know he's a real Atlantean. Yeah, yeah. He, you know, that he is a real Atlantean because his wiener has gills. <laughs> Man, I might have to mark this episode uh, rated R or Not something. Safe for work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't call it like the anatomical medical term for what it was. It's like, how bad is wiener? <laughs> yeah, you, you could just be talking about a tasty sausage. Yeah, with gills. It's a fish sausage. What's a, <laughs> what's a big? I don't see any problems. <laughs> so you're telling me when you were a kid, you weren't even into the John Byrne Namor comics. You were just into the idea of Namor because of the cards? I was into the idea of Namor and... I think I've talked about it on this podcast a little bit, but um, Namor, well, I mean, I just didn't have access to a lot of, a lot of comics. So I'm pretty sure the Namor comics that were available at the time were the John Byrne comics, but I, I didn't even read those. I, I actually, I still haven't read those even to this day. So, yeah, I think that's the longest run of a, his own series that he's had. Yeah. I will Unless say there's something from like the golden or so early part of the silver age, but yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but I will say that because the cards that I read were made around the time of those comics, his uh, Namor's backstory was based on the John Byrne stuff. So I think for the longest time, my understanding of Namor or uh, my understanding of his backstory was that of the John Byrne era Namor comics. So in my mind, he was always the Prince of Atlantis who decided to go on land and start a corporation so that, you know, he could <laughs> exist in the world. I mean, now as an adult thinking about it, it's kind of hard to wrap my head around, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he was the prince. He he is essentially uh, the Atlantis version of a Saudi oil baron or something, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Where he's not just a kingdom king of an empire, but he's also taken his resources and funneled it into a state-owned corporation that he also heads. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there was anything else to the lore, anything beyond that that they added. Um, I just remember towards the end of that John Byrne run, Jay Lee was doing the art for it. Mm-hmm. And I, I did kind of like his art back then, even though it, his early stuff isn't as good as his later career work. Yeah. Just the the inkiness of it all, and like how how it just looked like he was splashing buckets of ink all over the page. There was something yeah. about that that truly captivated me. Yeah, yeah. I I still remember the one cover that Jaylee did where, I think it's like a green foil cover, and you see Namor, like in in the center of it and it's just like namor is just covered in like hair or something there's like stuff all over it i, I had a ponytail at one point i think yeah yeah well okay that being said i don't know what are your thoughts on namor what's your history with namor like pretty similar to your history i didn't read the john byrne comics when i was a kid i would only see them on the racks so it was more just like look at the pictures, but never really had any inkling of what the story was about. All I re- all I really recall is, you know, when I'd flip through it, I would see he was like a businessman, or he was in a skyscraper wearing a suit and all this and that. And that was a uh, it wasn't what I thought Namor was like because when I had the Marvel cards, like you said, those were a pretty big foundation for our childhood in the early '90s. And I specifically remember the Namor card in Marvel Series 2. He's riding the Manticore. I think that's what the guy's name is. Yeah, yeah. Is it the Manticore? He's like a lion with a serpent for a tail and eagle wings, griffin wings or something like that. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure that was his name. Yeah, I think that was his name. But I just remember looking at that card and being befuddled by it because I didn't realize that the Manticore was an actual supervillain. I thought that was like Namor's pet. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I had so, the same thought yeah. that you did. <laughs> yeah. Because I saw that card and I vividly remembered because the image of him riding this manticore was kind of cool because the manticore was, well, at least in my mind, a pretty wild-looking creature. So it was like, oh, that's cool. He's got command of like the creatures of the sea or whatever. So that's kind of neat. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But then we find out that the Manticore is an actual villain who has motivation and agency and thoughts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just made that card even more comical. It's weird. It'd be it's like if someone weird. did a card of me and Drew and like Drew was riding on my back. <laughs> 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 it doesn't make too much sense. <laughs> but it would be pretty hilarious. It I'd say the first minute of it would be hilarious before and then I became it would be like severely uncomfortable. Disturbed. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but other than that card and those John Byrne comics, my main familiarity with Namor grew out from seeing his appearances in other people's comics because he was one of those characters that just showed up in other stuff like enough times that. I had a good sense of like what he was about and his personality. Cause like you said, he's just this arrogant blowhard, even though he's the King of Atlantis, he doesn't take any guff from anybody. And he always thinks that he's right. So people don't tend to like him. He's kind of a jerk. He's got a thing for Sue storm or Sue Richards. So if I wasn't seeing him in like fantastic four or, or something or, or some crossover event, Maybe I was seeing him in, in like, old Defenders comics or something, too. I'd occasionally see him in, like, Thor. Yeah, you're right. Defenders comics. Uh, What else? Because I was a fan of Silver Surfer when I was a kid. And I'd still say Silver Surfer is my favorite Marvel character. But there was this one summer when they did an annual event between the annuals of Doctor Strange, Hulk, Namor, and Silver Surfer where the original Defenders got back together. And I I was eating that up. I was pretty into that. Mm. But yeah, over the years, he hasn't really... I mean, they keep trying to do stuff with Namor, but it's rarely been stuff that interested me. I mean, the past yeah. what, 15, 20 years or so, they turned him into um, a mutant. So he's been in a lot of X-Men stuff. Yeah, He's shown up, of course, in various Avengers comics. And like... You were saying, I definitely think that Jonathan Hickman's New Avengers does the best Namor that we've got. Mm. Um, but yeah, him being part of the X Men, I wasn't, I wasn't really feeling that. Yeah, they just keep missing the mark with him, and it's just, I guess, frustrating at best, and it's insulting at worst. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess. If we could do a little bit of Sunday, I don't know, Monday morning quarterbacking, uh, I guess is what you could we call it or whatever, um, yeah. or backseat driving, wh- whatever the term may be. Like, I don't know. In my mind, I think the best kind of Namor story is one that, for me personally, really like focuses on him as a king, really involves a lot of intrigue i think you know acknowledging that he is the king of a nation that that's the that's kind of my ideal version of a namor story is one that where where he's utilizing not just his power not just his physical prowess and power but the 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 power of the crown that sits on his head. That's that's the thing that I think would personally be the most interesting sort of story for me mm-hmm. is 
you know, I want to say maybe maybe not even as a king, but like something that delves into the politics of his world. So something like a, I don't know, like a Tom Clancy name warrior or something like that, you know? Um, yeah. I don't know. Like, and I haven't even read Tom Clancy, so I don't even know if that's accurate. But okay. I, just feel like, <laughs> I, I just feel like. Hey, you, uh, you played Rainbow Six. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was going to say, optically speaking, that they, it just seems like an ideal fit for for the two of them, or, or for, for Namor, just if I was to reach out into the ether of pop culture and, like, snag something to use it as an example, that's that's probably, like, the best I could do. I don't know. Who who wrote Hunt for Red October and, uh, uh you know, all those... I think that those... was. Was that Tom Clancy? I think so. Okay, yeah. So something like that would probably make sense for me. But I don't know. I don't know what your feelings are on that. Something, yeah, something that's more on the... I feel like I associate Tom Clancy with espionage kind of action. Yeah. Not that makes sense. I mean, I I think politics probably does come into play. I it's been a super long time since I've read a Tom Clancy novel. Drew? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you had more to say. I didn't realize that you had I I thought I had more to thought. say about Tom Clancy, but then I realized <laughs> that it had been so long that you didn't even have that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because okay. I think when the first, when the original Rainbow Six came out, I was like, "Huh, who's this Tom Clancy guy?" And I was pretty young yeah. back then, you know. I was that was like the late '90s, I think. Yeah. So, I I borrowed something from the library. It probably was Rainbow Six or whatever the book was that inspired the game. And uh, yeah, like I I I can't remember it too well at this point. It's been too long. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. But people keep trying to do every so often, I, like every few years, it seems like people keep trying to do a new Namor miniseries, but it's rarely anything that seems yeah. to stick. Yeah, I don't know. They just, I'm sure on the Marvel side, they think they're giving it to people who are ideally suited to do the job. Either that or they're contracted with these people and those are just who they happen to throw these characters to, right? I don't know. I don't know how they operate over there. I just know that. Um, I just know what I like and I know what I don't like. So. Yeah, same. Yeah, but you know they have, they obviously have like good writers uh, over at Marvel and over at DC. Um, so you obviously have someone like a Jonathan Hickman who we've seen what he can do with Namor in his new Avengers books. So. It just feels like if they gave that to him, it would just be an obvious fit, right? For like the best kind of Namor story that you can tell. The question um, is, would he want to do that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so, but let's say that he doesn't want to do it. Um, like let's say you look at who else is in their stable. I don't I don't really know that there's anybody else that um altogether too interested in who I would want to see work on Namor. Um, what, you tell me you're not interested in the idea of a Jed McKay Namor series or Matthew Rosenberg? I'm not interested in the idea of either of their careers as a whole. <laughs> <laughs> what about a Donny Cates Namor? 
I think Donny Cates would probably be more acceptable to read than a no, he'd definitely be more acceptable to, to read than a Jed McKay or Matthew Rosenberg. But I don't know. I don't know if that that's saying much. I don't know if that's like if I just wanted a kind of dumb, like meaningless, you know, just for fun quote action version of Namor. I guess. Um, and I don't even know if I personally think would think that it was fun, but <laughs> the masses would probably love it because, you know, he'd he fight symbiotes. He would have Namor and he would fight, you know, he would have the King of Atlantis fighting the Ocean King or something like that, you know. The King in Black. Was, the the King in Blue. <laughs> <laughs> um I'd say in their stable of writers, maybe Al Ewing would work. I, I did just think of someone who sort of fits our build for an ideal Namor author, but I also think that he kind of doesn't fit at the same time, uh, and that would be like a Tom King, because he's a guy with a CIA background, so he could tell that sort of story, but he's also very accustomed to writing sad superhero stories, and I don't know that a sad Namor story is one that makes too much sense. <laughs> <laughs> what? You don't think Namor can cry? Um, Namor Dude, when you're underwater, the... no one can see you cry anyway. Yeah, yeah. But Namor strikes me as the kind of guy who doesn't get sad. He gets angry. So if you hurt him emotionally, he will hurt you physically. <laughs> 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 He's the guy at the club who, when he gets rejected by a girl... We'll take it out on someone who totally doesn't deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Every time he gets rejected by Sue, he ends up taking it out on Ben and Johnny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he beats up uh, her brother and their family friend, their <laughs> ugly family friend. <laughs> That's messed up, man. <laughs> it is pretty messed up when you put it that way. I guess I put it that way. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's get to the the people that did work on this book. Um, I saw, I see here that you wrote some notes about Christopher Cantwell. I'll, I'll start with me, just just for full transparency's sake, which is his name is one that I've seen around for a while. I don't know if he's like one of the big names over at Marvel right now, but I do definitely see him getting work. Um, I don't think he's in a position where they're giving him events or anything like that at this point, but I don't know, give, give it a couple of years. I could, there's no reason for me to believe that he won't be a headlining guy at some point other than, you know, what my personal, uh, take on his books are. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know who he is. I haven't really read anything by him, so when we decided to do this topic for the end of the year, um, the book that came to mind was this because one, it met, it, it met the criteria for a book that came to an end or was about an ending in 2023. So I was mm -hmm. like, okay. And um, it, I felt like it was a good opportunity to delve into this guy's writing style and just to get a taste of 
what he's about and who he is. Um, other than this, there's a chance that he might have done like a short in like an anthology or in, in some other books um, that they had from Marvel, maybe like a one shot or something like that. So there's a chance I might have read his work somewhere else. But yeah, I, yeah, he's he's a pretty complete unknown to me. I don't really have much of anything to say about him. Yeah. You? Uh, I guess the first thing is that he has an unfortunate name because there's another guy named Christopher Cantwell who happens to be a white supremacist. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, at <laughs> least you can yeah. say that if he can't be the best Christopher Cantwell out of those two Christopher Cantwells, that's <laughs> that's pretty sad. <laughs> well, he's definitely better than the Nazi <laughs> Christopher Cantwell. <laughs> okay, okay. We've got one nice thing to say so far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, our our Christopher Cantwell shouldn't change his name just because some other Christopher Cantwell decided to be a neo-Nazi, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't begrudge Christopher Cantwell for keeping his name. It's yeah. it's not his fault. Yeah, but it's yeah. just that I remember the first time I Googled the guy. No, not that the first was time. That was the guy that came up. No, the, the first time I saw his name on a comic, I was like, what the? Christopher Cantwell? Isn't that... And then I had to Google it, and then I realized, okay, there's another Christopher Cantwell. Like, there's, in addition to the neo-Nazi, there's actually a writer, Christopher Cantwell. And then that was the guy that I realized wrote this Marvel comic. <laughs> right, right, right. That's, uh, yeah, unfortunate yeah. for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they both have their own Wikipedia entries. But if you look up our Christopher Cantwell, he turns out to be... A Hollywood guy. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of his shows, but he was one of the co-creators behind the TV series Halt and Catch Fire. I don't know what that is. I'm not big enough on TV. I want he to say, also feel was Tim Roth in it. Any, uh, anyways, I have no idea. Yeah, it was just something that I wasn't aware of, so I didn't really look too deeply into it. But he also directed a movie called The Parts You Lose in 2019. And in terms of comic book related stuff, he also served as an executive producer on the Paper Girls show, which I think was on, what, Amazon Prime? I never saw it. Mm. But as far as his comic book writing credits go, he's written quite a few things in these past few years, like some notable licensed comics like he did some star wars comics there was an obi-wan miniseries he did at marvel uh he's writing a star trek story um he did some other stuff for marvel too like a doctor doom series that was actually nominated for an eisner award for best new series in 2020 i remember he also wrote iron man i don't think i've read too much of his work either i feel like I might have read maybe the first issue of his Iron Man from a quarter bin at some point, maybe an issue of Obi-Wan, but there weren't ever things that I found quite a bit of just because I think of the, you know, the pandemic era, it, it got kind of hard to find cheap copies of recent stuff in the bins. So I don't think I ever really read an, enough of him to, to make an impression. So this Concord mm -hmm. Shores is, is basically the first real thing I've read from Cantwell. Yeah. 
it's the clearest example of a thing that I can associate with his name. Yeah. I'm looking up Halt and Catch Fire, and it's coming back to me. This is something that I recognized. Um, it's got Lee Pace, and I think it's a drama that takes place in like the early era of the internet. And it was kind of released around that time where AMC was putting out these bangers of shows where you had stuff like Walking Dead and you had, uh, I forget what other stuff they were putting out. Oh, they had like around uh, Breaking Bad. So they were oh. kind of on on their upswing in terms of the shows that were coming out. And this was like billed as like one of the shows that was, you know, kind of in the same category. I think like Mad Men is another example of a show that came out where, yeah, they were just kind of in the, I guess, art, not artisan, but like kind of the prestige era of their like okay. body of work in terms of what was putting out. And this was kind of billed as like, oh, in the footsteps of those shows that were coming out. And I don't, I never watched it, but the one thing that I remember is that I think Justin Chuan was interested in this show. It was something that Justin. he was talking about. Our buddy nice. Justin Chuan. He was on this episode once way back, way back when. Um, yeah, not, not, not even once he he's been on a couple of times i remember he did the eternals uh movie review with us so uh i'm sure there was uh, some other episodes i don't I think the remember. the first black panther movie and the shang chi oh was that and wasn't there what was he might the, have done uh, black panther with us too yeah i think he was on the black panther episode with us and the one that first adrian tumana movie oh uh, yeah, Paris, yeah, yeah 13th district yeah yeah yeah. Okay. So he's been on quite a few times and he's a, uh, he's a big cinema guy and a cinephile. Uh, yeah. You know, someone who likes to have sex with movies. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a cinephile is very much in line with what you would associate when someone used the term file at the end of a word like that, okay. as in a peta <laughs> or a necrophile. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. So I just imagine that if that's my association with the word, then a cinephile naturally would be someone who fornicates with movies. With that kind of logic, I cannot formulate any kind of rebuttal yeah and since justin isn't here to defend himself he has to just tacitly accept it <laughs> uh, maybe yeah. he'll be the one to comment on our episode or leave us a one-star rating because he's upset yeah. at something he said yeah, yeah yeah very much possibility but yeah that being said um yeah, that's the one thing I remember about this show, Halt and Catch Fire. Um, I didn't realize that Christopher Cantwell wrote it, but I don't really have anything beyond that to, to say about the show or his career. Yeah. So, like, uh, I, I think the initial statement still stands that in terms of something that we've actually read that I can clearly associate with his name and his career, it would be this, uh, yeah. Namor Conquered Shores. Namor, the Submariner Conquered Shores. 
yeah, we came in as blank slates in terms of our knowledge of Christopher Cantwell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about Pasquale Ferry? Any thoughts on him? He's someone that we used to see quite a bit. He, I, I did enjoy his work earlier on in like the maybe like 2010s, maybe even, yeah, I did say around the 2010s era. Um, the one thing that I remember him clearly on is he did, I think, some of the Mike Carey Ultimate Fantastic Four with, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, the Mike Carey Ultimate Fantastic Four with Mike Carey. The Mike Carey Ultimate Fantastic Four with Mike Carey. <laughs> so good, you gotta sell his name twice. <laughs> the man is an institution. He's not a businessman. He's a businessman. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what else I've seen him on. I think he wrote one of the Ender's Game adaptations. Or I yeah, I think wrong. he drew it. I think I think Mike Carey or somebody else might have done the the writing adaptation and. I do remember Pascal Ferry drawing at least one of those miniseries. I can't remember which one because there were was it Mike Carey? Those like it might have been. Didn't Ender, uh, not Ender. Didn't Orson Scott Card actually write some of those? Uh, I don't. I think he might have written one of them, but because I think the first think one was him and Andy own. Kubert. I want to say the first one was Orson Scott Card and Andy Kubert, and then I remember. I don't know if Orson Scott Card actually adapted his own enders comics but i think he might have he might have written or co-written one of them right but i mean they all obviously have his name in the credits just because they're based on his stories i do remember orson scott card actually wrote some other comics for marvel like he did do ultimate iron man yeah that's what i was thinking of that's what i think one of the kubert brothers did draw that one you're right you're right that's what i remember too okay yeah but Pasquale Ferry was someone whose artwork I did enjoy. I maybe he wasn't ever like my favorite artist or anything, but when I saw his artwork, I thought it was good stuff. Uh, I'd say that he kind of reminds me of like a little bit of like a Stuart Eminem or something like that. I don't know if you agree. Like he's you're you're obviously like a bigger or more knowledgeable of Stuart Eminem than I am, so you're probably more qualified to say, but... No, I see the connection there. Yeah. Um, I'd say that... Like, here's here's the thing with Pasquale Ferry that, that I've been thinking about this week since we read his, his comic, but when I looked up his his credits, he's he's been around for quite a while. Uh, according to... So... According to Wikipedia, he drew a few issues of Fantastic Four 2099 back in 1996. He's a Spanish okay. artist, but so he's been active in American comics since at least the mid 90s. And I remember he also drew some X-Men comics in the in the late 90s. And then like maybe the first significant particularly good thing he did was a run on Action Comics during Joe Kelly's stint which was around issues 786 to 810. There were a few fill-ins there, but that was like, I think, really late 90s or early 2000s. But Mm. I didn't really notice him until 2004 when he did Adam Strange, Planet Heist, which was an eight-issue miniseries written by Andy Diggle, colored by Dave McKegg. Mm -hmm. And that one I thought 
was a pretty good miniseries until like the last issue when it turned into like some infinite crisis bullcrap. And I, I just remember like being really into that Adam, Adam Strange story until the end. Um, and I ended up like getting rid of the comics at some point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Pascal Ferry has been around for quite a while. I, I do see the connection between his style and what you were saying with Stuart Eminem. They both have that clean, cartoony kind of look. Um, yeah, definitely. By the time you see his stuff on Ultimate Fantastic Four with Mike Carey, he's pretty much like crystallized what he's good at. And I think uh, the work he did in that, it's not too far off from what we see here in Concord Shores. And he's still pretty active nowadays. Like he's still mm-hmm. getting work with with Marvel. Uh, I don't know if he's done anything with DC recently, but there's you know a lot of artists who are doing stuff 20, 25 years ago that don't really we don't really see them nowadays. But Pascal Ferry recently, relatively recently, he did this miniseries with Chip Zdarsky called Spider-Man: Spider's Shadow. That was a pretty good miniseries. I borrowed that from the library. It's a story about what if Spider-Man kept the symbiote. Mm. yeah as far as as much as we make fun of venom and the symbiote like that was actually a a good comic okay okay and i I think pascal ferry is currently the artist on the doctor strange series written by jed mckay Mm. that sucks (laughs) (laughs) i mean at least it'll have good art (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah. like here's the thing with pascal ferry that i was thinking about though recently is because even though he's older than a lot of the current crop of big two artists, I feel like his style perfectly fits their current house styles. Because when you look at the a lot of the credits from the big two, you can see that they've been recruiting a lot of talent from Spain and Italy in recent years. And I think there's just something about Ferry's clean style of illustration that many other artists from that part of the world share in common. Like maybe there was a period of time when it seemed like he wasn't really sought after, but now that the explosion of those like European, Spanish, and Italian artists have come over, they've you know basically become the Vogue house styles, especially at Marvel, and to a lesser extent I'd say even DC. Now it seems like he it's kind of come back around for him. You know he's he fits in real well with what the company likes to present in their visual style. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, and I I do think that that's good for him because um, I do appreciate his artwork. Like I said, it, he might not be like someone I place in like the top tier of like right artists that I like love or anything, but he's good. I enjoy looking at his art for sure. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. Got to give a shout out to. Matt Hollingsworth, too, because I think he's a fantastic colorist. He's pretty well-respected, too. He's colored a bunch of things that we've read and enjoyed over the years. I mean, he was the colorist on the Bendis Malieve Daredevil, the Bendis Gatos alias Preacher, the Brubaker Catwoman, the Gaiman Romita Jr. Eternals. Uh, what else? Death, the High Cost of Living, the Fraction Aha Hawkeye. So, like, he's colored a lot of stuff that you've enjoyed and i think when you compare all of those different books like there's a different 
style of coloring that he employs. He's not this one trick pony that just relies on the same palette over and over, but he actually uses colors that complement the the line art, you know, depending on who the penciler and inker are, his style of coloring changes to to match what they're doing and, you know, it really accentuates the things that they're good at. So it makes the visuals just look better all around. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think the one story that I clearly remember him working on is the Silver Surfer, the Fantastic Four Silver Surfer story with um, the Mad Thinker. I think that was... No, Psycho, Psycho Man. Man. Psycho Man. And Wait, are you, are you Psych- thinking of Hollingsworth or Pascal Ferry? Oh, yeah, sorry. I was I was still thinking about Pascal Ferry. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I take that back. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Did Matt Hollingsworth color that one? I don't remember. No, I doubt it. I doubt it. <laughs> I, I I I thought we were still talking about Pasquale Ferry. My bad. My bad. Oh okay. Yeah, but that that was a good Silver Surfer story. I do like that one. I yeah. I still have yeah. that one on my shelf. It's good comic. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at his Ultimate Fantastic Four comics, they the style there looks pretty similar to the stuff in Conquered Shore. Yeah, he's consistent. For mm-hmm. sure. Mhm. Yeah. I don't really have too much familiarity i mean i'm sure matt hollingsworth has done a lot of stuff well i mean i'm looking at his body of work right here the bendis and malieve daredevil that's that's like top tier right did you uh right yeah i mean yeah it's like all the stuff that i listed out i I feel like that's stuff that you've read so yeah yeah yeah. that was why i pointed those out yeah so i even though you know i haven't read some of those things recently like i I can point to those things and I know off the top of my head what the art in those books look like. And, you know, if he's associated with that, there is nothing that is not a stain on his career at all. If anything, it's a, it's a badge of honor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to dive into Concord Shore? Sure. Let's do it. Let me give a brief synopsis. It's, there really isn't much to it. It's just a story that takes place in the future where a majority of the superheroes have disappeared from the face of the earth. Um, It seems like the oceans cover a majority of the planet and the human race is in decline. They are seeing problems with, their birth rate, they are incapable of having more children. And on top of that, the remnants of humanity are now living in these, I guess, in these safe zones underwater or in various pockets throughout the planet. And Namor is, he is no longer king, but he, um, I guess, I don't even know what his exact title is. Like he, he, the the nation of Atlantis is the predominant power on the planet, and Namor tends to scour the 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 world, either you know protecting the interests of Atlantis, or um, I think the implication is that he occasionally tries to help humans out because in his old age he's 
he's witnessed a lot that's happened to the majority of humanity and to some degree he's softened to them um yeah and it's the story of yeah uh, of namor trying to help the remnants of the human race while maintaining his allegiance to his atlantean roots yeah i don't i don't think that there's anything really more to it uh, i mean we can certainly discuss more specific elements you know if we dive deeper when we go into the actual book discussion but in terms of just a broad plot synopsis i, I think that's pretty fair yeah and to be honest I, f- I feel like the the publisher's synopsis even that is a little bit confusing just because mm-hmm. like what you were summarizing how namor he he's no longer technically the the king of atlantis um but he's still acting in the interest of atlantis as well as the world in general there's just mm-hmm. something about that where i was i was looking over the the summary, the publisher summary, and here's here's part of what it says. It says, enter Namor, the submariner, who is no longer king of Atlantis, but ruler of the entire world. Like, I felt like that isn't entirely accurate. I don't think he's exactly the ruler of the entire world, but I can kind yeah. of understand, like, why that works as a shorthand for a publisher summary. But yeah. to me, it just kind of feels like whoever was writing the summary on Hoopla probably, <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure if they really understood what the story was about or really yeah, followed yeah, it yeah. super closely. Because it felt like, well, okay, it, early on they established that Namorita, Namorita, Namor, whatever, uh, <laughs> Namorita is the actual ruler of Atlantis and Namor himself he's it just feels like he's more of a drifter you know he just kind of yeah. goes from place to place using his powers and you know occasionally he ruminates on like what he's witnessed over the past you know decades and um and here's he another thing he the the publisher summary it says a century into the future, not much land remains on Earth. So the implication is that this takes place a century in the future, but in the text itself, I'm not sure if it actually tells you how yeah. much time has passed. So I was. It, it doesn't necessarily feel like. Uh, yeah, I think I got that same impression as well. It didn't really make too much sense to me because, well, okay, we'll we'll spoil a little bit of it, but I remember reading that there was some mention that the story takes place in like the distant future. Like, I don't remember like what the actual numerical number of years was, but it felt like it was a distant while away. And then very early on in the comic, we see like Captain America and like Luke Cage. Yeah. It's just like, wouldn't they be dead? But yeah. Maybe, like, you can maybe, the maybe they got white hair now, but they don't look that much older. Yeah. Maybe you could make the argument the only way that I can kind of explain it away is, you know, Captain America's super soldier serum just preserves him for a really long time. And maybe Cage is just naturally long lived. Who's to say? Because he's got unbreakable skin. Yeah. 
unbreakable skin and an unbreakable heart. <laughs> <laughs> I guess well, so. I guess so. <laughs> well, okay. I guess since we've peeled the mandate off a little and we've given the synopsis, um, we can dive into it a little bit. I don't know. What did you have any thoughts? General overarching thoughts about the series as a whole? Sure. To be honest, I didn't really like Conquered Shore. I don't think it's a good comic. I think it's I actually think it's a bad comic. And mm-hmm. I don't mind having read it for the podcast. I, I would still be willing to read more from Christopher Cantwell. Mm-hmm. I think I'd be less excited to in the future, but it's not like this one book turned me off to him forever or anything. I think I'd have to just give him another chance to to really, you know, be more fair. Usually I like to read at least three things from somebody and at least one of those things I I would want it to be like one of their creator-owned works. I'm not sure if Kentwell has any creator-owned comics at the moment, but mm. yeah, I'd still be willing to to give him another shot. It's just that this comic I thought had some some problems and yeah, it definitely wasn't to my taste in terms of the writing. The art was great. I like the art. Yeah. Um, even though some of the designs were a little bit questionable, like I, I don't really like Namor's shirt costume thing in this one. Like I'd, I kind of prefer a shirtless Namor, but he was wearing that thing that, that kind of looks uh, like his alternate costume where it's got the, he's got Is it the like a crop top. Yeah. It's yeah. like a weird crop top like that he's got like a collar and it covers his shoulders but you can still see his pecs. Yeah, his bare chest. <laughs> yeah, his bare chest. It's, yeah. it's it's a strange costume. I'm not a big fan of that. Uh yeah. the design for Luke Cage, I wasn't a fan of that either. Like I'm not into giving Luke Cage his tiara back and having him grow the mutton chops. That's yeah. I'm not I'm not too into that. But like as far as the the rest of the art like the storytelling was great. It's you know very crisp drawing. The colors are beautiful. Like there's some scenes where you see the sky, um, and the horizon when the characters are looking out. Uh, that are just beautiful. Some of the spreads, like that that early spread when Namor goes to Atlantis and you see what it looks like. It's pretty beautiful. Like that's a great drawing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, as far as like the the story itself like i have some things that i wasn't too down with so i I guess we can go into that after you share your general thoughts yeah um well before i go into that um there's one thing i feel is worth asking which is yeah you mentioned earlier that his doom he did a doom series that received a eisner nomination yeah is that right yeah like i wasn't even aware of that and you know in terms of comics and eisner is a pretty it's a pretty prestigious award to win um and it's not too bad just to be nominated either yeah exactly exactly so i don't know i'm I'm curious if you ever had any interest in reading that series if uh, if you had even known about it, like I didn't even know that he wrote a Doom series that was yeah, animated. I knew about that. I remember hearing about it, but it just wasn't something that I ever picked up. I think it's on Hoopla though, so we could easily access it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might. I mean, 
like you, uh, if I'm truly to give this guy more of a chance, I guess that you, you could argue that that would be the thing to read if it's, uh, you know, if it's a matter of like checking out a work of his that is the best representation of his work, you know, his best foot forward or whatever. I'm looking um, at some of the other stuff he's done that's available on Hoopla. He did a run on Angel. Okay, okay. Like, how old, how long ago? Let me see. I, actually, I think I remember that. It's fairly recent from what I remember. Yeah, 2022. Okay, okay. The Boom Studios run. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I kind of remember that. I think... I think Brian Hill did like some issues of it before he took over, but I'm really behind on my Angel comics. So, anyways, um, yeah, just back to my my opinions on it. I don't, quite frankly, I didn't think it was anything special. I think, I think I was fine with it. I, I, I do want to read more of Christopher Cantwell's work just to see. I I don't know. Like, at the end of the day, it, it felt a, like a pretty paint-by-numbers, end-of-the-world sort of story. And maybe it's not as bad as some of the worst examples of it, of this kind of story that I can think of. But... Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, it's probably not something that I'd say that I love either. Well, it's definitely not something that I love. Um, you love like, very few things in life. Yeah, yeah, and like my parents don't even make that list. But um, if I saw this like on sale somewhere, I probably wouldn't buy it. That's yeah, and um, in all likelihood, I'm pretty sure in a matter of a month i'm gonna forget most of what this book is gonna be about uh, <laughs> yeah i think i was just drawn to it because it was namor because pascal ferry was on it and again this was an opportunity to read something by someone who's getting into comics right now so i don't know i think i'm perpetually working on this podcast i'm perpetually in a place where i <laughs> Perhaps it's my version of a midlife crisis where I'm, I don't want to admit that all the writers that I love are just guys that are, you know, behind the times, guys that are not nearly as relevant as they once were anymore, or if they are in the headlines, it's for like the worst possible reasons. Yeah. So um, I do want to stay abreast of the new writers that are coming out and who's popular and, you know, who's... Yeah, just who's who's kind of writing comics at the moment, just so that I can at least. You want to be, be part involved. of the discourse. Exactly, still be involved in the conversation, be a part of the discourse, and, uh, and like at least know what people are talking about. Um, so I guess in that sense, I achieved my goal in reading this comic. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I agree uh, with that. overall, like I can't, I can't say that if Cantwell is someone who's representative of like this generation's you know like tier of like a-list writers which i'm not even sure that's the case i kind of doubt that it is but um he's not someone like this as an example of his work isn't something that like 
it's not an example of something that I uh, love or maybe even like that much. Perhaps, yeah, I think the the thing that I can say is I'm 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 fine with it. <laughs> like if someone said they liked it, I'd be like, fine, whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, that's probably the best that I can really say. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things where if someone said they they loved this comic, I wouldn't like denigrate them or mock them for it. Mm. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, I guess what i can say is that this comic just didn't resonate with me in any way shape or form so um in that regard it's it is kind of be it is going to be something that i'm probably going to forget in a matter of weeks yeah but i think when i took the time to like examine it a little bit closer and like pay more attention because i knew we would be podcasting on it i think I think that close examination is what kind of makes it fall apart even more for me. So, yeah, for for me, I would even say that I I dislike the comic, and you know, I'm just not I'm not into it. And uh, like some of the reasons why, um, I'll try to explain why it didn't work for me. Um, like first of all, the backstory for the whole premise of it it didn't make a whole ton of sense to me so it's i mean i can understand that sometimes you just want to come up with a a simple plot device and you know that's all it is just to set up your story and if you if the reader doesn't buy into it then it's going to make everything real difficult but i felt like his plot device in the backstory about the all the heroes leaving the planet to fight the Kree, except for the mutants. I guess they stayed. Um, it ended up killing all the heroes, but there isn't really any explanation as to what happened to all the mutants. And this comic was written during the height of the Krakoa era of X-Men. So, like, what happened to the X-Men? Like, how did this happen? What happened to Krakoa? Did they all just move to Mars, or or what happened? So yeah. there's there's that question, and then. Secondly, it's like, why did all the heroes just end up dying so easily? And if they all flew off the planet to fight and die, how come Cap and Cage are still on Earth? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll admit that was pretty weird for me, too, because right off the bat, they start off with the fact that all the heroes went to go and fight the Kree, and none of them came back. And then you turn a page, and it's like, oh, what's this? Captain America is still <laughs> yeah. on the planet and Luke Cage is still on the planet. But I thought you said all the heroes died. And maybe maybe all the heroes except the two most cowardly ones. Yeah. Well, but that and that's the thing, right? That's the thing that adds to it not making a lot of sense is like if Captain America is kind of the uh apex hero that you think that he is, then like why isn't he there with them? Exactly. You know, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Um, and, yeah, it almost feels like it would have made more sense if these two characters weren't Captain America or name or, or Luke Cage. If they were just regular people. But, yeah, yeah. for whatever reason, they, they had to pick Captain America and Luke Cage. And because of that choice, it just makes you, like, scratch your head. It really you know? does. It really does. And then, the, yeah, it, so... It's those two, the whole mutant thing, that just gets brushed aside. 
And then my other question after that is, so all the heroes left the planet. What happened to all the supervillains? What happened to the villains after all the heroes left? There's this one line in one of the later issues about how Dr. Doom and Reed Richards were murdered by Kree assassins. But that's just one villain that we've accounted for. What about everybody else? What happened to them? And it's kind of strange that the story just kind of, you know, doesn't address it at all. It doesn't even, there isn't even anything to gloss over. It just doesn't address Mm. all of the other metahumans that populate the planet. So I guess we just assume that they were so insignificant that uh, they're not worth remarking on. I think... If I was to give a generous interpretation, it'd be that whatever cataclysm wiped out the majority of human beings probably wiped out the rest of the supervillains or, you know, so whoever was left was whatever was left. But I guess so. But but what about uh, what about Tiger Shark, man? Shouldn't (laughs) an underwater world be his like playground? (laughs) What if when the Atlanteans, you know, were in ascendant? They just decided that they didn't need to worry about uh, uh, trials and <laughs> prisons. They just straight murdered him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See? That's fair. A lot can happen in 100 years. You just got to use your imagination. Yeah. But yeah, that, that backstory definitely made me question things a bit. Um, I think another thing that kind of irked me is how... Conquered Shores is a story about an aged Namor who has accomplished his goal of restoring Atlantis to glory and prosperity. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, he just seems restless. And also, the stranger thing is that he seems far kinder and softer than one would expect. Mm -hmm. Now, I guess you could make one could make the argument that a man can change in 100 years or however long it's been. A man can change as he gets older and you know, the temperament can change. You could be hot-headed in your youth and arrogant or stuck up or whatever, and then you can develop a sense of patience or generosity that wasn't there when you were younger. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I get that. I get that. But Namor's already a pretty old guy, you know? Like, even though he looks <laughs> like a man in his prime, this was yeah, a guy yeah. who fought... He was a grown man when he fought in World War Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like... Now that he's older, I kind of question like how much of his personality can change. How much can he change? Because <laughs> once you get to a certain age, I do feel like you're kind of like your personality is kind of who you are, and he's already been who he is for like 90 years. Is another yeah. few cent- few decades or a whole century really going to change him that drastically? Well, I think the one thing that I would add to that is. This is a version Namor who, within the context of their story, is one who witnessed, you know, his greatest victory also includes the annihilation or the, yeah, the, the, the annihilation of the majority of the human race, right? So if you told me that that's something that he lives with because at the end of the day, he is half human. Because all every time you do one of these undersea characters in any Marvel or DC story, they've always got to be half human for whatever reason. They're never just a full fish person. But okay. he wasn't the one who wiped out humanity. 
I think you can still feel an affinity for humanity. And they did establish the fact that he could have gone with the heroes to like save them or to help at the very least, but he chose not to. He chose to side with his Atlanteans and actually I'm I'm reading over that double page spread that kind of summarizes the history. It, there is a line that says the mutants left the planet. So I guess that's what happened to the mutants. They're all on Mars. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I I do think I don't know if it's a theme of the book or or not, but by the time we get to the end of it, we see that the arc of his character is that he ends up denying his Atlantean roots and as a result he is exiled, but he ends up forming a new society with the outcasts of the old society, which includes robots, humans, and I guess Frankenstein monsters? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's another thing I was not down with, man. (laughs) You weren't down with Frankenstein monsters existing for some weird reason? (laughs) Can't say that I am. I think... Frankenstein monsters and vampires and zombies in the Marvel universe are all pretty quaint ideas. It was already something that you hated. (laughs) It was already something that I hated. I mean, the the scene at the end of that one issue—I don't even think it was at the end of the issue—the one scene where Frankenstein's monster first makes his appearance and Namor says, "Egad, the undead monster of lore." That was the point where I checked out of the book, man. <laughs> like, I think that dialogue speaks for itself. I'm not a fan of the dialogue there. That doesn't sound like Namor at all. Like, I but now you to say Frankenstein or or like, it's was it? You think it's a, a what's it called, um, like a legal thing? Like, does I, I thought Frankenstein was public domain, right? That's what I thought, because DC has a Frankenstein character, and I think his name is just Frankenstein. I think it's... Isn't it Dr. Frankenstein? I think Doc Frankenstein is that comic by the Wachowskis and Steve Skrose. Oh, okay. okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, so, the, the E.Gad monster is just bizarre to me, because... It's Here's the thing, it. right? Like, there's a scene after that where Namor has to explain to Cage what Frankenstein's monster is. Yeah. And that just makes Cage seem real dumb because <laughs> later on in the story, they make a joke about Dracula and the vampires. So it's not like these classic monsters don't exist in the Marvel Universe, right? Like, I mean, we've yeah. already seen Dracula in the Marvel Universe. That's been established. So, like, for Cage not to know what Frankenstein's monster is, that was another head scratching moment, and again, I I just don't like the idea of bringing Dracula, vampires, Frankenstein, uh, mummies, zombies, werewolves, mummies. yeah, like all of that stuff is all of the universal me. classic movie monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's just a personal thing, but I. I do not appreciate seeing that in my Marvel comics, and I'm just. I biased thought that like was that. a weird choice too. I don't know, like, 
think when I was thinking about it, and if I had to be generous, I'd say that it was Cantwell's attempt to write a story where the point of it was that these are the remnants of what's left of, you know, whatever's on Earth, right? So that will include humans, that'll include robots, and apparently what's left on the planet is also universal classic movie monsters. So, so it's the <laughs> idea that they will form a more perfect society with Namor playing the role of the bridge between Atlantis and this new human race, right? But it still doesn't make sense why, of all the remnants of whatever's left on the planet, why these monsters would be part of it. I yeah, that that was confusing to me. It's just it's a, a random choice, and it's, it's a it's, very random choice. Yeah, it doesn't seem to underline any other thematic subtext or anything. It just feels like Christopher Cantwell thought it would be cool to have Frankenstein's monster in his story, so he just decided to do it. But yeah. it, it ends up making it distracting, especially yeah, when yeah. you're a sicko like us who who tries to you know analyze and really <laughs> look deeply into a story that probably doesn't really warrant it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, this is... Again, if I, if I was to go back to my earlier comparison where I would say that this is just a really, in the most shallow way possible, this is a attempt to do a Dark Knight Returns for Namor, right? Um, it, the thing about it is that at the end of the day, it's just a pretty plain average adventure story that just happens to take place in the future i don't think it really has much to say about namor it doesn't really give him any additional depth like i think early on when i read the first like couple of issues there were okay i'll say before the point where like captain america shows up there were moments where i was like okay if this is a thing where based on the synopsis provided on Hoopla or at the back of the book, uh, if this is a story where Namor has achieved everything that he has sought, and now that he is victorious in the future, he all he can do is look back and like see the folly of his ways and his mistakes. If it was like a contemplative book like that, then I probably would have been more interested in that. Yeah, but it really wasn't. I mean. Maybe it touches very lightly on some of those ideas, but it's pretty shallow in um, in its explore, exploration of those ideas, if it even explores them at all. Yeah, I agree with that. It's not really contemplative at all. It's more of just a straight-up adventure. Yeah. Namor yeah. collects a couple of allies as he's touring the water soaked earth and yeah he ends up finding uh yeah like you said at the end of it it's just him being a part of a new society you know yeah. holding hands and and singing kumbaya with a mixture of people mm. which is which is fine i guess it's it's an innocuous idea 
but there really isn't too much meat on the story to to give that any kind of meaningful depth or resonance. I feel like it's the comic book equivalent of every Saturday morning cartoon having at least one episode where they do a time travel story where uh, you know, the characters go to an alternate universe only to discover that the future has been ruined by something that they did in the past. It's it's every science fiction Saturday morning cartoon doing their version of the Terminator. And it's probably, this story is probably on par with that. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Except I guess there isn't any uh time travel element they're not fixing anything in the past to prevent this from happening so i guess i can appreciate that at least they didn't try to undo everything it's just a story about making the making the most of what you've got in front of you even if what you've got in front of you is a planet full of water yeah yeah there was another scene that that uh I want to nitpick at just because it irked me in the moment when I was reading it. But at the very end of issue three, there's a scene where Namor, Cage, and Frankenstein's monster are at the edge of a cliff and they're they're talking to each other and they're talking to Steve Rogers on the on the com link. Or I guess it's Steve Rogers as well as uh Eudora, the Atlantean who's kind of helping Namor in his quest. But while they're having this conversation, the 1940s human torch flies up and surprises the heck out of them. And I've always thought that was a strange thing to do because the dude's on fire, they're standing outside, and it's like dimly lit. So you'd think that they'd be able to hear him coming. But it it just turns out that the torch shows up just in this dramatic fashion and it, like it it never really makes sense to me because of the amount of dialogue in the scene uh it, it just doesn't like logically speaking it's it's weird to me mm. like the way that the torch apparently he can hear all the stuff that namor is saying clearly enough to finish off his sentence but he still surprises the three guys who are on the ground I mean, I guess you could tell me that the torch has robotic sensors and he can hear really well, but I don't know. I just feel like <laughs> if you're out in the middle of nowhere, there are there's no natural light and it's nighttime, you're probably gonna notice a flying, flaming human Man. torch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and and it's a story that follows all the standard tropes where. Every time they, uh, every time Namor encounters somebody, he's got to fight the guy before they can be friends, set aside their differences, <laughs> and be friends. Like he fights Frankenstein's monster, and and then they end up becoming allies. When the torch comes, they try talking a little bit, but at some point they end up fighting too, and then Namor regrets what he has done. Mm. Yeah, there's that whole subplot with Machine Man. I don't really know what that's supposed to be there for or what that accomplishes. Yeah, I think the only thing I got out of that was 
it'd be really cool if uh, Pascal Ferry did a Machine Man miniseries. Yeah. I'd be down for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess he's an agent acting independently of the rest of the robot society. I think to fight against the Atlanteans. Well, from what I remember, the revelation was, well, I, I could be remembering this wrong. Didn't Atuma reprogram one of them to turn him into basically a, a living bomb to assassinate or to wipe out one of the uh, sanctuaries? Oh, shoot. I totally glossed over that, if that's the case. Yeah, because at the very end of the, the book, when Atuma and Namor are fighting, yeah, it's one of those things where in the future, Atuma is now deeply like ingrained with the general the, of their military. Yeah, yeah, he's been forgiven all his crimes. He's part of the uh, existing power structure, but it turns out he's still a jerk, <laughs> you know? Turns out that the guy who's like tried to rise up against Namor a bunch of times is still <laughs> is still a jerk who in the future is willing to do exactly what we expected him to do. <laughs> Which yeah. was he he took this robot, he reprogrammed it and used it as a weapon of mass destruction against humanity as uh, a reason for them to use it as a means and an excuse to like i guess wipe out the rest of the humans yeah yeah you're right i'm I'm flipping through the pages again and i'm looking at the scene where atuma and uh namor are fighting and yeah the, there is that line of dialogue where he talks about how easy it is to capture a machine and and program it yeah yeah but even so that's not really a much of an explanation and it's not necessarily a great yeah use. yeah it's <laughs> plus it's another scene where they're having a fight and they're spouting so much dialogue and exposition <laughs> i'm not a big fan of that yeah yeah anything else i mean otherwise we can kind of delve into the themes or other ideas a little bit are there any themes to this comic um I think the main one is just the idea of making, you know, making a new, a better world, newer world. Um, I don't know. Last week we discussed Deadly Class, and I think that did a far more compelling job of exploring that exact same idea. Yeah. Just didn't really see that here. Um, I don't know. Like, I I can't help but compare this to other versions of it like we talked about spider-man rain and that's another story where maybe no the the art is definitely good in that comic but in terms of the execution of it it doesn't really it doesn't land anywhere near as close as the dark Knight returns like it just feels like at this point there's a whole genre of comics that are trying to be uh uh, uh, like a whole genre of comics, which is just comics trying to be Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. And, and this, maybe this isn't trying as hard as something like Spider-Man Reign, but it's still, I don't know. I feel like the, the takeaways are always 
for a lot of the people who are writing these kind of comics, the takeaways are always, well, what made Dark Knight Return so great was seeing alternate versions of the heroes that you love in these really dire circumstances and just reimagining a world where um, we can kind of play with the lore and make it devastating for the sake of drama right and yeah that's that's what dark knight the dark knight returns did so well and that's the filter that they just apply to these characters so you have spider-man rain which is you know a world where the criminals take over uh you know new york and spider-man killed his wife with radioactive semen haha (laughs) 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 so at least i can say that namor didn't kill Sue Storm with a radioactive <laughs> fish semen. <laughs> that is true. I can't argue with that logic. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of uh, like another version of that is like Old Man Logan with by Mark Miller and Sean McNiven. Steve and, McNiven. Steve McNiven. Sorry. Uh, or uh, the. The other books in that series uh, that came out, which were, well, not series, but the other books that were associated with it, things like Old Man Hawkeye or Old Man Quill um, by Ethan Sachs, and uh, I forget who the the artists were, but um, I I recently read one, uh, one of those, I I don't even know if it really counts, but it was a, a series by Ed Brisson. Brisson! (laughs) <laughs> called uh dead man logan okay and i think it's a maxi series it's a 12 issue maxi series that serves as the final end note to the old man logan character so i guess it doesn't even really take place uh, okay that's not true there is definitely a part of it that takes place in the future and like kind of finishes closes out old man logan's story but Aside from that, like it's, I, I feel like that was probably more closely assigned to, more closely aligned with something like Namor, um, Concrete Shores, in that it just took the shallowest elements of Dark Knight Returns and just applied it to these characters to, you know, reach the inner fanboy of comic book readers so that they can feel like oh man look at that um can you imagine a world where (laughs) all of humanity is dead and namor's the only one left and he has to like you know uh, he has to uh uh uh, um, go against his atlantean people to start a new society wouldn't that be cool you know it's a lot of stuff like navel gazing is what it is i guess yeah yeah and it's and Conquered Chores is the kind of thing where it doesn't really feel like it has anything significant to say even about Namor, the Submariner, as a character. Because mm. I would, I, I was thinking about what you were just saying about these kind of old man stories. Yeah. And these wannabe DKRs. Like with DKR, all of the stuff that makes it cool stylistically, you know, the setting, the the darkness, the the grittiness of it all, and the kind of the hopelessness of the situation in the in this dystopian future, like all of that stuff 
is cool because it, it's only the setting, you know, like it's, it's all the trappings of the work. It's, it's the, it's the frosting on the cake, but the cake mm. itself is all of the interesting things that book has to say, not only about Batman as a concept, as a character, but also just the social commentary and the subtext and the exploration with how to tell a story, you know, like that was one of the, uh, one of the comics that kind of popularized the idea of doing these panels as, um, you know, news reports to, to give like quick exposition and atmosphere to, to the world that's and everything that's going on. Like after, DKR did that, you know, you'd see a bunch of comics start doing similar stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's there's a lot more to DKR besides just being a story that has old man Batman coming out of retirement to beat up the mutants. Yeah, yeah. There's just more to it than that. Yeah. But it's a lot harder to capture the other elements anytime you do an old man hero story. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to think of like what is it, what is it about a specific character that makes that character special and how do we highlight everything special about that character in this dystopian future yeah yeah it kind of feels like conquered shores doesn't really do that because what makes namor special is the stuff that you described earlier in this episode when you were talking about how he's the king of atlantis but he, you know, he's instead of being like this. Well, I guess partly he is regal and noble, but he also doesn't take any crap from anybody. He's arrogant. He's haughty. Mm. He, he's stubborn. He's, he's a, a monarch who doesn't necessarily consider himself a hero. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But in this story, he throws that all away. He's not even king of Atlantis anymore. And he decides to be a hero. So mm. from that perspective, it makes it feel like this story doesn't even understand what makes Namor a cool character at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of any potential subtext, I, I really did try to look to see if there was anything in this story. And yeah, I couldn't really come up with too much. It's like what you were saying at, at the end of the story, you know, like how Namor ends up uh, building a new society. So I guess maybe you could say it's a story about putting aside your differences or something and just making the best of what you've got to to live in harmony or something. But I don't know. That, that just feels kind of flimsy to me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the most basic kind of uh, lesson or moral that you can apply to a story just to say that it has a moral, which is peace is good or always be a hero or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well. You got Namor, you got Human Torch, you got Luke Cage, and you got the EGAD monster. Yeah. <laughs> they all conveniently put aside the differences, link arms, sing kumbaya, and form a new society so they can live in harmony. Mm-hmm. Mm. Then right. I guess there's also a 
potentially the idea that this could be a story about how the present and future are more complicated than the past. I don't know if that really fits either. But I was looking at the beginning of issue five, and there's a flashback to World War II as Namor reminisces about how conflicts back then were binary. It was pretty clear cut and easy to see who the the villains were. But now we live in a more complex world. I mean, I, I don't know if that was supposed to be like a point of that. I don't know what the point of that scene was supposed to be, that little flashback. Maybe it's supposed to point out that, you know, things in the future are full of more shades of gray. But I don't know. To me, that's kind of a weak theme. It, it didn't really... It's not really saying anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Does that cross your mind at all? Mm, I think... I think the shallowness of the book overall was something that was apparent to me. Yeah. I will I will say this though, like I I don't think that it being shallow in and of itself necessarily disqualifies it as a good book. Like I I think because what I was going to say is I do think that there are examples of this kind of story where I do enjoy it, even if it's not really very meaty, only for only because I can just enjoy it for the action aspect of it. And I don't yeah, think that Neymar Conquered Shores is necessarily that book either. But yeah. I think about something like Old Man Logan by Mark Miller and uh, Steve Steve McNiven, and um, you know, like Old Man Quill and Old Man Hawkeye by Ethan Sachs that I mentioned earlier. Like those were things that I can just kind of enjoy, and I don't necessarily assign any greater meaning to those works right. beyond just the Ent- entertainment, entertainment that I get from it. Yeah, and and I'm fine with that, right? Like yeah, I yeah. look at some something like those works and i don't go oh this isn't this this isn't dark knight returns so you know naturally it's just a cheap imitation and i have no respect for it and it's not something that works for me right and it's i'll not naturally poo poo it or whatever but um like even in those cases at least those were entertaining just for the sake of entertainment, even if they didn't necessarily have anything to say about Wolverine or uh, Hawkeye or Peter Quill. Or society in general. Or society in general. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. No, that's a fair point. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. It's like some comics are just purely entertaining and there isn't necessarily any deeper subtext to to the work it's just yeah yeah, i think but if that's the case they better be entertaining (laughs) yeah they've got to be entertaining they've got to be really tightly plotted and and well crafted and full of like genuine drama and and yeah you know the stuff that actually like grabs you and and 
compels you to keep on reading. Yeah. And, and, and that I think by that measure, exactly, exactly. And I think if I was to apply that metric to something like Namor Conquered Shores, I wouldn't even, I couldn't even say that Namor Conquered Shores lives up to that measure, quite honestly. Yeah. 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 It's, it's not the most entertaining of these kinds of stories that we've come across. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But, Are there any yeah. more that you can think of? Because, like, the first I thought of was Spider-Man Rain. Like, I feel like there's been a bunch for everybody. Like, I don't know. I don't think Daredevil End of Days counts, does it? Oh, <laughs> uh, why not? That kind okay. of is a last. Okay. It's It's like a the end type of story, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't think it necessarily uh, follows in the mold of a DKR type story because Daredevil's kind of dead in that comic. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> right. But yeah, uh, I mean, like there are other comics that are like Marvel's The End comics. Would you consider those along the same vein of this? I think so. I think that's fair. I think those are fair to compare them maybe they don't necessarily follow in the same footsteps in the sense that you know you don't have an old man hulk who comes out of retirement to you know face off his foes for one last uh one last go or whatever but <laughs> right you know it's still an exploration of like a really bleak future for for these characters yeah and yeah and those things are explorations of those characters too. And I think that's what makes them entertaining is because if, if we were to read those and talk about those, like whether it's the Hulk, the end or uh, Marvel, the end, or what else is another one? Fantastic Four, the end, like at least if we talked yeah. about those, we would still be able to say things about how they're a reaction to all of the other Fantastic Four or Thanos or Hulk stories, you know, like those would be things where we could talk about, the like there's there's stuff there's interesting stuff there to explore in terms of like what they have to say about those characters but i i guess with conquered shores it doesn't really feel like there's a whole lot of interesting things that it says about namor yeah yeah i mean i guess you could take that same story and really apply it to anyone and if the only thing that makes it a story that fits namor because it's got to do with underwater stuff then that's a pretty again that's a pretty flimsy like association right yeah like what if they did the story with aquaman they just swapped out namor with aquaman they put mara instead of namorita mm -hmm. uh they used uh who's who's the captain America? they just used bruce wayne instead of steve rogers yeah yeah and then they have they can use their Doc Frankenstein <laughs> uh, yeah. instead of the Human Torch. They can use Red Tornado. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you just you're just swapping out skins at it's that point. It's a template point. swap. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anything else? Not really, man. I think uh, I feel like we've already kind of stretched out what we had to say about it as it is. So anything okay. more would just be piling on. Well, I'm good for it then, and uh, I guess we can go to what would you recommend for someone who wants to read 
either something like this or maybe a good version of this. <laughs> I thought of a few different recommendations here. The The first one is if you want another alternate version of Namor kind of comic, there was another five-issue miniseries from more years ago called Namor, The Depths by Peter Milligan and Asad Ribich. And that one isn't a the end kind of story, but it's a different type of Namor story where Namor is more of a horrifying figure. It's a horror story. That's what it is. A nautical horror story featuring Namor. And I feel like that version of Namor is just as different as the one we get in Conquered Shores. You know, like in Conquered Shores, he's nice and kind and, and generous and strives to be a hero, which to me is an alternate version of the Namor that I enjoy. So I, I think if you can tolerate an alternate Namor story, then The Depths is definitely a great story in and of itself. Um, as far as another The End type of story, the big one in my mind that I enjoy is Earth X. Earth X by Alex Ross, Jim Kruger, and John Paul Leon. That was a better end of the Marvel Universe type of story, and it also has a better use of Machine Man. It's a lot longer too. It's way more substantial. Um, that that's kind of that's more along the lines of like an epic. And then my third recommendation, and this one comes with a big caveat because of the person who wrote it. He, <laughs> but in terms of uh, a post-apocalyptic story about a flooded Earth, Brian Wood wrote a comic series called The Massive. It was drawn by various artists, published by Dark Horse, uh, but obviously Brian Wood is somebody who was accused of sexual misconduct. So I can understand if you wouldn't want to read it, but that was just something that came to mind in terms of a comic book that was about a flooded earth and um, like that post-apocalyptic adventure, science fiction. Mm. Okay. You ever read any of those? I never read the massive. I did read Earth X. Um, I thought Earth X was fantastic. I I never did read any of the follow-up series like Universe X or Paradise X. Although I think the last time I read Earth X, like way back, it it did. So like way 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 back when I first read Earth X, I felt pretty satisfied with reading that on its own and i didn't necessarily feel the need to read all the uh, the sequel series yeah but i think the time after that when i reread re it i did notice that there were these hanging plot threads and i've been i've been a little curious about it ever since i i don't know because i do remember like seeing a little bit of those other series and because was it tommy lee edwards who drew those those other series uh but no, no who drew earth x john paulion oh john paulion right yeah um yeah i just first of all like the art for some of those other books weren't anywhere near as good so it's it did make it a little harder but um i don't know now now in 2023 i think i'd be willing to give them a chance if i found them somewhere yeah yeah definitely yeah um, did you ever read the depths I have a copy of that. Yeah. Anymore? And yeah. it's it's definitely a, a cool 
take and a cool concept um, and way of writing an alternate version of a character. Um, certainly not one we've seen where maybe this this is a version of Namor that definitely isn't a regal king as much as he is a sea monster. Yeah. Which is such a departure from the version of him that we know that it makes it okay and it makes it interesting, right? Because right. if the if the departure of the character that we know is only a slight gradation, then it's probably easy, easier for you to say that, oh, this guy was completely missing the point or just has a misunderstanding of the character as a whole. Uh, but if they purposely do that and provide you an interpretation of the character that is just so wildly removed from the version that you know, then at least you can say that it's intentional, it's purposeful, and it's meant to make some sort of statement with that character. And I'm far more forgiving of that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of me, I, I mentioned some of the books that uh, earlier, like I think a better version of this kind of story is something like Old Man Hawkeye with Ethan Sachs and Marco Cicero. Um, it, yeah, it's just a version of Hawkeye in the future where he's an old man who's got to take on uh, you know, the remnants of uh, the supervillains that have uh, taken over the the country or the planet or whatever. So, Does Old Man Hawkeye take place in the same alternate future as Old Man Logan? Yeah, he does. He okay, does. so he's blind? He is, yeah, this version of Hawkeye is blind, yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, and then we also have Old Man Quill, which was also Ethan Sachs, and... There were various artists on it. Uh, I'm looking here. Uh, Gil, Roberson, um, Mosa. Like I, yeah, I, I don't have their first names on hand. But um, that was another one where it was just another fun sort of alternate version, future version of a character that we already know. Um, and it also takes place in the uh, Old Man Logan universe. Okay, okay. Yeah. I never read either of those two, but I remember you got them, so I'm hoping I can bum them off you at some point in the future. Yeah, they're fun. I'm, like, not going to pretend that they're, you know, um, I'm not going to pretend that they're, like, great works of art or anything, but they're they're enjoyable. They're enjoyable yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, let me check. There was one series that I was looking at uh, that I thought of, and it might be another version of uh, Namor that I do think works. The thing that the caveat about this is it's a four issue miniseries, and I only read issue four. So <laughs> I, I, I really never got a chance to read the rest of it. So it's hard for me to say, but uh, from reading issue four, I will say that. It was a version of Namor that I did appreciate. And this is Prince Namor, the Submariner. And this was a series written by J.M. DeMatteis and Bob Budiansky, art by Bob Budiansky and Danny Bulanati. It's an older series. It's a four-issue miniseries about Namor. And I remember reading that issue four, and I thought, man, if I could find the rest of this, I'd check it out. So, Dude, it's J.M.D.M., huh? 
Yeah, yeah. So that might be my one uh, Namor story that I still look towards. And, well, you know what? We mentioned it, and we've talked about it several times, but, yeah, I'd also talk about, uh, bring up the uh, Jonathan Hickman New Avengers arc that he did where he had Namor. That was some great Namor stuff. So if you want to read that version of Namor, that's also always a good one to go back to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yep. All right. Well, if nothing else, I guess we can close this episode out. How did it sound? Take us on home, baby. All right. If anyone has anything they'd like to contribute to the conversation, if you want to discuss the book, you know, any good comments, any bad comments, we'd love to hear it. Feel free to hit us up on X. Feel free to DM us on Instagram. You can email us at between the gutters podcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, just reach out to us and we'd love to hear. Um, if you're happening to, if you happen to be listening to us on whatever platform you're listening to us on, you know, please help us out by putting a review, um, sharing, liking, subscribing, all that stuff. And, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will catch you next time. Peace out. Bye.